Well, if you're brand new here, welcome. We're so glad that you are here today because we're in a series where we are tackling the seven deadly sins. And you're like, oh, why did I come today? But we're actually really excited about it. Uh, By the way, my name's Craig. I'm one of the pastors around here. And um, last week, we talked about sloth. And I preached on that. And while I'm inclined to experience sloth, it's actually not the sin that I am most inclined to committing. For me, my deadly sin, my deadly sin is sloth, or sorry, it's wrath. I'm, see, see, I was so lazy in my thinking right there that I forgot, and now I'm mad about it. Now I'm mad that I wasn't able to deliver that line well, and so uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, but for the next 30 minutes, what we're gonna do is this. Is, uh, I'm, I'm really just gonna preach to myself, and if any of you guys wanna listen or tune in or follow along, uh, you are more than welcome to, um, because I struggle with the deadly sin of wrath. And you might be thinking, well, what is wrath exactly? Here's the definition of wrath. Wrath is a feeling of intense anger that does not subside. And it can happen on an epic scale. You ever experienced that? Some of you are like, oh, wait, yes. I think that that might be what I struggle with. And wrath is actually experienced in a variety of different kinds of emotions, including frustration, indignation, and maybe the most common way it's expressed is through this word, Anger. Anger. Definition of anger is this. A strong emotion or feeling that is oriented towards some real or supposed grievance. And today, anger manifests itself in a variety of incredibly dangerous ways. Anger has actually manifests itself in a specific way for as long as recorded history would indicate to us, and most certainly through what we see in our Bible. But over the past few years, we've been able to put a term to a specific way that anger manifests itself in an incredibly dangerous and divisive way that is completely rooted in anger, and we've coined this division through this two-word phrase called cancel culture. Cancel culture self-righteously shames, bankrupts, pollutes, punishes, silence, boycotts someone who doesn't agree with you. All in the name of self-righteousness, which is all rooted in anger. Cancel culture seeks to destroy your opposition all in the name of anger. And there's a powerful exchange that happens between Jesus and two of his closest friends that fully is in this idea, in this light of cancel culture, which they didn't have a term for it back then. Maybe they did. But for us today, we see this in action in this amazing encounter between, between Jesus and two of his best friends by the names of James and John. Jesus and some of his disciples, and actually a lot of people, were actually headed to Jerusalem. And Jesus had his disciples there with him, including James and John. And so they actually sent some messengers as they were making their way, they were making this journey, this trek onto Jerusalem, and they were going to pass through a Samaritan village on their way. Context. Samaritans and Jews did not get along. You talk about two groups of people that were ready to cancel each other and shame each other and punish each other and get, try and wipe the other person off the face of the earth. 
These are the two groups that would have existed in that day, Jews and Samaritans. And so they're getting ready to approach this Samaritan village. And the messengers show up and they let everybody know. They're like, hey, Jesus is coming and we've got some people coming. Would you guys be able to make preparations for his arrival? And because the Samaritans hate the Jews and the Jews hate the Samaritans, the Samaritans are like, heck no. We don't want your kind in here. Get out of here. So the messengers went back to Jesus and some of the disciples, James and John standing by, and they deliver the news that the Samaritans won't prepare their welcome. And then this amazing exchange happens. In Luke chapter nine, verse 54, look at this. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they heard about this response. They said, hey Lord, do you want us to command fire down from heaven and consume them? Hey, you know those jerks that are waiting up there in that town for us that don't like us? They said they're not about you, God. Hey, we could do that thing again. Remember where we commanded down fire and we could consume, consume those grade A jerks down there? What do you think, Jesus? Should we do it? You ready? Because we could do the thing. We could do it. All in your name, Jesus. We could do it right now. You say the word. Yeah, ready? Ready? Or no? What's it going to be? We do this all the time. We are offended because somebody doesn't agree with us and we are prompted by this kind of anger where we think the only way to handle this is through anger and destroying our opposition. This is what we do. And then look at what Jesus says to them in verse 55 and 56. But he turned to them and rebuked them. He rebuked them and he said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. You have no idea what you are asking. This isn't why I came. This isn't what I'm about. This isn't what we are about. And then notice what Jesus says, for the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Jesus did not come to create division. Jesus did not come to seek to disagree and completely annihilate and destroy the opposition just because they didn't agree with him. And here we see some of his closest friends, his most trusted disciples. These are two of the three in the inner circle that Jesus truly poured into. The other one's Peter, and by the way, Peter gets the worst rap out of all three of them, right? We're the one that's like, this is the crazy guy that jumps out of a boat and walks on water and draws the sword of a Roman soldier and chops off a guy's ear, and yet here's James and John being like, yo, God, we'll bring down the fire and destroy those jerks. We'll do it right now. We'll do it. All because they don't agree with us. You see, there is no place in God's kingdom for this kind of anger. And so the call out is this, we need to stop justifying our anger by using the God card, saying, well, well, God needs me to stand up for him. God needs me to make sure that I can call down fire because, ooh, I don't think God could handle somebody being like, hey, we're not about that Jesus guy. You think Jesus can't handle that? You better believe Jesus can't handle it. It's because our anger and pride can't handle that. And we think that if our self-righteous anger, our self-righteous consummation of this idea of, gosh, I just wanna, I just wanna destroy this guy. I'm gonna yell at this guy. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull the, you think, you think right here, we talk about these spirit fingers, these spirit fingers right here, our thumbs are some of the most deadly weapons this earth has ever seen because we think that we can go onto social media and be like, oh, I'll show them. 
I'll show them. I'll bring down fire in the name of God because, man, God just can't handle these kinds of insults, so I got to stand on his behalf. You think God can't handle that? Are you kidding? Of course God can handle that. You see, we are seeking our own self-righteousness, our own self-seeking agenda, advancing anger and rage that's manifesting in this idea of I've got to step in and I've got to make sure that I could guard God. Truth, you ready for it? God can handle himself. And he wants us to ensure that we can handle ourselves. But oftentimes it's our anger that prevents us from doing that. Are you ready for this? This might shock you. Anger is a God-given emotion. God gave you anger. It's okay to experience anger. Look at James chapter 1, verse 19. It says this. Hey, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. He wants us to do all of those things. He wants us to be quick to listen and then be slow to speak and then be slow to get angry. And you know what? We're really good at doing the exact opposite of this. We are quick to get angry. We are very quick to speak and we are very slow to listening. We do this backwards. We are really good at this. Look at Ephesians chapter four, verses 26 and 27. It says, be angry. There you go. You could do that. You could be angry, but do not sin. Right there, do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Do not sin in your anger. And you're thinking, okay, good. Anger is a God-given emotion. This is awesome. So what's the big deal? As is the case with anything that God gives us, like a God-given emotion, like anger, what we do is we pervert it. We distort it. We create it to be something it was never intended to be in the first place, and so we don't use it properly. We weaponize it, we worship it, we idolize it, we glorify it, we let it own us, and all of a, all of a sudden we find ourselves steeped in sin, all because we gave something that God gave us. They're like, ooh, this is really good. And because we have all fallen short of the glory of God, we begin to pervert this thing, and now it becomes nothing about what God actually intended it to be. Our understanding of this deadly sin is grossly misguided not just affecting us, but affecting everyone around us. The truth is this, both humans and God both express wrath. And here's a great truth for you. Ready for this? Look at the screen right here. When used by God, wrath refers to his absolute opposition to sin and evil. Think about that for a second. When used by God, wrath refers to his absolute opposition to sin and evil. God is opposed to things that cut against the very nature of who he is because he is not sinful. He is not evil. But you want to know who is sinful and evil? Look at what happens when it's used by humans. When used by humans, wrath is an evil that is to be avoided. You see, our nature is not like God's nature. We were not meant to be like God. That's not how this thing works. There was a season of time where Adam and Eve were perfect, but what did they do? They perverted something. They weaponized something. And they took the thing that God wanted them to achieve, and they fell short. And the same thing happens with us and our anger. Interestingly, wrath is, is, uh, one of, is the only deadly sin that we actually attribute to God in a phrase that commonly you have heard, and certainly I have heard, and it goes like this. The wrath of God, right? The wrath of God. And it's right here where we mess this up. 
It's right here where we begin to understand the wrath of God and it's like, okay, the wrath of God, this is good. If, if there's a wrath that God could have, surely there's a wrath that I could have, right? But this is where we mess this up. There's two kinds of anger. The first one is this. There's a righteous anger. We call that divine wrath. And then there's a second kind of wrath and it's called unrighteous anger or human wrath. And let's quickly address this idea of the wrath of God or the divine wrath. In the Old Testament, the wrath of God is a divine response to human sin and disobedience like we talked about. And we see that manifest itself through the wicked things that a lot of people did in the Old Testament, like idol worship, not following the will or the way of the Lord. And of course, we see sin and obedience. And God's wrath against these kinds of things is perfectly justified because his plan for mankind is holy and perfect just as God himself is holy and perfect. But it's not just the Old Testament that calls out to these things. The New Testament conveys the concept of God as a God of wrath who judges and condemns sin. God's wrath and judgment for unrepentant sinners is actually seen in Luke chapter 16 with the rich man and Lazarus. Those who reject Jesus will actually see the wrath of God. Look at John chapter three, verse 36. It says, and anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life. And anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life but remains under God's angry judgment. This is all divine wrath. This is all attributed to the wrath of God. And then there is human wrath to which our natural response is, oh good, this is the kind of wrath that I'm here for today. This is what I'm here to hear about is I wanna hear all about this human wrath because I've got an ax to grind. I am like a hammer in search of a nail. I've got some grievances, a long list of grievances, and I'm ready to express my human anger because there's some things out there that I don't like. That I don't like. And this is where we generally step in and we begin to feel entitled. And we take this divine wrath that God has and we think that we could attribute it to us. We think that it will just translate. We use the transitive property. Any math fans in here? Math fans are like, oh my gosh, you use a math term, that's great. Non-math fans, hating me right now. Careful, we're talking about wrath, okay? We're talking about wrath, we don't wanna go there. But we use the transitive property and we're like, well, if there's divine wrath, well, certainly there's a way that I could express my human wrath because I'm standing up for God. I can be justified in this, but this is where we weaponize it, we worship it, we idolize it, we glorify it, we let it own us, and all of a sudden, our anger, just like that, turns into sin. Why? Because it's not possible, ladies and gentlemen, for our wrath to produce the righteousness of God. James chapter one, verse 20. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. It doesn't do that. And throughout scripture, we see the perversion of human anger becoming sin and thus incurring the wrath of God. We don't have to go any further than the fourth chapter of your Bible and my Bible by looking at the very first two siblings on earth with Cain and Abel. We don't have to do it because Cain and Abel fell right into that, Cain specifically, because God asked both of them to bring a sacrifice and they both brought a sacrifice and Abel brought the best of what he was supposed to bring because he knew it's what he was supposed to do. And he went and he offered a sacrifice and God accepted that. And then Cain brought his sacrifice and it wasn't the best that God wanted. 
He knew that. He knew it wasn't the best. And God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but didn't accept Cain's sacrifice. And the Bible says that Cain burned with anger and jealousy. He was so mad about it, and he actually experienced what it was like to feel dejected because something wasn't accepted on his behalf. Something wasn't accepted on his behalf, and Cain's jealousy fueled his anger. And then we meet a man later as we journey through the Old Testament, a man named Jonah. Uh, We've all heard that story, right? The story of Jonah, the same guy that got swallowed up by a fish. Why? Because he disobeyed God and he didn't want to go to the evil city of Nineveh and preach the good news because there was, wait for it, God's wrath was imminent. God's wrath was about to be, uh, about to destroy this entire nation. And God's desire is not for that to happen. God is eager to want to save people. God is eager for people to repent. And he told Jonah to go and he's like, I ain't going. Bunch of jerks over there. I'd rather see those guys canceled. So he hops on a boat and he goes the exact opposite direction and there's this huge storm and Jonah knows he's the problem and he's like, pitch me overboard. Pitches him overboard. A fish delivered by God swallows up Jonah, spits him up on a beach. Talk about a viral video that would just rule the internet today. If you were on that beach one day, my gosh. And he gets spit out and he gets a second chance to follow through on the obedience that God was calling him to go do. And so he goes, and he shows up. And ladies and gentlemen, he preaches the most uninspired message that you've ever heard in your entire life. Eight words. And he says, God's gonna destroy you, repent now. Some of you guys are like, dude, an eight word message, that sounds great. We could be at breakfast right now. The most uninspired message, Jonah shows up. Hey, repent, God's gonna destroy you guys. And he walks away. And every single person in the city, including the king of Nineveh says, you're right, we should repent. And everybody repents. Everybody, which you would think, man, Jonah must have been jumping for joy. Nope. Jonah chapter four, verse one. This change of plans greatly accept, uh, uh, upset Jonah, and he became very angry. This response right here from Jonah is amazing. I love this. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before, God, that I left, when I left home that you would do this? I knew you would do this, Lord. That's why I ran to Tarshish the other way, because I knew that you're merciful, and I knew that you're compassionate, and I knew you were slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Dang it, God. This guy's, these guys are jerks. These guys were ridiculing you, making fun of you, tearing you down, trying to take away my liberties, God. And I, no, these guys should have been destroyed. And Jonah's like, and I'm here for it. I'm ready. He found a nice little spot on top of the hill to watch the destruction because he was like, there's no way these guys are gonna repent. And they did. And he goes, I knew you would be compassionate, God. Unbelievable. I knew your unfailing love. (laughs) But the story of Jonah is an incredible tragedy because if you read the end of the book, there's no hope or joy there for him. He ends the book angry and ticked off. How many of us would have the same response of Jonah looking at people who fundamentally disagree with everything that Christians stand for, ridiculing God, disowning Jesus, 
destroying the claims that we have? And what if all of a sudden people that we just seethed with anger for actually repented? What would our heart's position be? Would we truly be grateful or would we throw a tantrum like a four-year-old and haul off to a hill and sit under a tree and just continue to burn with anger? Jonah's absolute hatred and selfishness fueled his anger. And then in Daniel chapter three, we meet a king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon and he was a wicked dude. He had a lot of people that were working for him. And he issued this decree that every single person would bow down to him. Uh, bow down to him. Three dudes were like, nah, we're not doing that. We're gonna do it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We ain't doing it. Nebuchadnezzar finds out. He's like, oh, these guys are, these guys are toast. Some of you guys know this is going, that was good right there. That wasn't in the notes. These guys are toast. Bring them over here. I'm so mad with these guys. This passage of scripture says that he was, he was enraged, so incredibly angry with these guys. There's a word there used that says he was furious. He was furious with them. And he told his most trusted servants, his strongest servants, turn that furnace up seven times hotter than we usually run it. And when the strong servants pushed these guys in, the Bible says that these strong servants literally burned to death. Sometimes our rage and anger hurts the people closest to us the most. Sometimes our rage and anger hurts those closest to us. And for as long as I can remember, I've succumbed to anger, wrath in my life. Before I had kids, there was a season of time, a, a, a long season of time, where I began to grow impatient. I, I, would, I would begin to grow impatient with myself. I wouldn't have a tolerance for the times where I wouldn't be able to complete a task. I would get frustrated in the fact that I couldn't complete something or I would go play a particular sport of some kind and I would get so mad and I would get so competitive that I would get angry and then I would sin in that. The tools and tennis rackets and so many other things that I've destroyed because I let my sin, I let my anger turn into sin has seen a carryover in an area of my life that I'm not proud of, because before I had kids, this is where this would burn the most. It actually would be a self-loathing I had for myself because I couldn't control exterior circumstances. And then I had kids. And I would soon begin to realize that my lack of ability to control my kids would stir. And it would stir up that anger and I would have a chance to not sin in my anger, but I can't tell you the number of times that I have sinned in my anger. As I was preparing for this message, people found out that wrath was my deadly sin. And most people came to me and said, really? I don't see it. You know why? Because most of the time, the people that suffer most because of my wrath are the people that are the closest to me. And the times where I've lost my temper on my kids because they wouldn't obey me, because they wouldn't listen to me. Instead of slowing myself down 
and getting on their level and explaining to them in a God-honoring way what they did wrong. Instead, I would just fly off the handle. I would lose my temper and I would sin in my anger. Honestly, I was probably at my lowest point at the very beginning of this series. And it's been a journey for me to work on this. But Chuck said something at the very beginning of this series that has pierced my heart unlike anything else that I've ever heard. And maybe you know exactly what I'm about to say because it pierced you too. Because he talked about parents being angry and sinning in their anger with their children. And he said these words. He said, maybe as a parent, you've said this to your kids. You are causing me to be angry. And when he said those words, it stopped me right in my tracks because I've said those words to my kids. I've looked at my kids and in a fit of rage yelled at them, you are causing me to act this way. You're causing me to act this way. You ever been there? That's me. But what about you? Maybe that's not how you see the wrath in your life unfold. Maybe it's in a different environment. Maybe it's a different circumstance that's prompted that. Maybe for you, the anger that you've experienced because of the divorce that you never wanted has prompted you to take action to put your kids right in the very middle of the divorce and use them as bargaining chips, as leverage. That maybe you've just been focusing so much on getting the kids to be on your side of the argument and that's all coming from a place of rage and anger. Coming out of the season that we've been in with COVID, alcohol sales are at a catastrophic and unprecedented level. And maybe the alcoholism, the drinking that you're trying to conceal is actually fueling rage at an even higher proportion in your life. Maybe you're experiencing anger from a father wound that's never been settled, that's never been addressed. In fact, it's just been pushed aside, it's been buried, it's been swept under the rug. And what is happening is that's actually manifesting itself in you experiencing anger and rage with so many other relationships in your life. Maybe you've taken to social media. Maybe you've bought into this idea of cancel culture is the exact same way that we should go. And I want to call down fire just like James and John did. And I want to ridicule my opponents and I want to destroy them and I don't want to see them come to the Lord. It begs this question, what kinds of opportunities have you missed? What kinds of things have you ruined in your life because of your anger? I've missed out on some amazing teaching examples in my life with my kids that I can't get back. I can only employ those things moving forward 
and it's something that I'm not proud of. And it's something that eats at me all the time and is a constant reminder of I can do better. I want to do better. I think about Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32. It says this, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of behavior. Instead, in place of all these things, we do this. We're kind to one another. We're tender-hearted. We're forgiving one another. Just as God, through Jesus, has forgiven you. That word right there, get rid of, actually means to repent of. To repent from all. Not some. Not some of the bitterness. Not some of the rage. Not some of the anger. Not some of the resentment. All of it. And I'm going to call on anybody in here who wants to repent of that today. You can do that. And can I say this? It's something that I find myself doing a lot First of all, it's biblical. Second of all, I want to be better. I want to be well. Do you want to get better? Do you want to get well? You see, the thing that I've lacked in my life for such a long time, whether it was for myself or certain things I was trying to accomplish, and certainly with my kids nowadays, is this, patience. And that's the virtue. That's the virtue that we're talking about when it comes to the anger and the rage that we experience, is we need to develop patience. As we think about our seven deadly sins and the virtue that is associated with each and every sin, the beautiful thing about this particular virtue, patience, is it's actually a fruit of the Spirit. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace. Praise God for the next word, patience. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these things. The Greek word here for the word patience comes from this word makrothemia, right there. It means patience, forbearance, long-suffering. What is long-suffering? Long-suffering is like suffering, but just long, I guess. That's all I got. Maybe I put it like this. Maybe I put it like this. If you feel absolutely terrible walking away from an encounter because you withheld your rage, you withheld your anger, and you actually employed patience in that scenario, and you walk away feeling so... Guess what? You did it right. You did it right. Because think of the alternative. That if you walk away from an argument or disagreement and you let someone absolutely have it and you feel good about yourself, you did it the wrong way. So relevant. When I heard that, I was like, wow, I cannot tell you how many times that's happened, which is funny because as time goes on, that feeling begins to, to switch. And those of you that have suffered with wrath and anger, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because in the moment when you let somebody have it, you're like, that's right, that's right. And then 10 minutes later, you're like, I can't believe I just did that. Because these are the people that are the closest to us. And the moments where you withhold that anger and you actually express some patience, and you're like, didn't get my point across. 10 minutes later, you're like, I'm so glad I didn't do that. I'm so glad I didn't do that. So how can we develop patience? How can we go about doing this? How can we experience long suffering? Three things. Number one, 
Be grateful for your trial. Be grateful for the thing that is causing you to have to exhibit patience. James chapter one, verses two and three says this, my brother encountered as all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces, there it is, patience. Trial develops patience. The struggles that we face develop patience. Think of it like this way, the more trials that we face, the more opportunities we have to develop patience. And if you're lacking the patience, we ought to be expressing joy and thankfulness for those trials. Isn't it wild that the very thing that's fueling my anger, according to scripture, is actually the thing that can produce patience? It's crazy to think about that. The very thing that is fueling my anger, this trial, this struggle, this person, this circumstance, that's fueling my anger is actually the key to patience. If we're willing to shift our perspective, when's the last time you thanked God for that trial? When is the last time that I thanked God for the tough journey of parenting? It's easy to thank God when my kids are obedient. It's easy to thank God when my kids are listening to me. It's harder to thank God when they're not. But that is the key right there to experiencing patience. Number two, you wanna develop patience? Trust the Holy Spirit. Trust the Holy Spirit. If patience is a fruit of the Spirit, then we must trust the Holy Spirit in doing its job. We must trust the Holy Spirit in doing its job, which means this, we don't produce the fruit, but you know what we do really well? We spoil the fruit. We allow our own intentions, we allow these God-given things that God wants to give us and we pervert them and we turn them into something that we think is right. And all of a sudden, we've taken the fruit that God wants to produce in our life and we spoil it. Look at Romans chapter eight, verse 13. It says this, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body and you will live. You will put to death the deed of taking this anger and turning it into your own anger and sinning in it. We gotta trust the Holy Spirit, which requires us to understand that the key, the ultimate key to allowing fruit to be produced in the Christian's life is this. You ready for it? Obey the words of Jesus. Obey the words of Jesus. John chapter six, verse 63 says, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. You want to experience the fruit of the Spirit. You want to experience life. Listen to his words. Apply them. Live them. And then number three, you want to develop patience. Be grateful for your trial. Trust the Holy Spirit. And then number three, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. James and John looked at Jesus. Rage and anger filled in their eyes saying, we can put an end to these guys. Just say the word, we'll do it. Jesus says, you don't even know what you're about. This isn't what I came here for. I came here to save. And Jesus' call to not only his disciples, but to you and I today, is the same word that I threw out just a few minutes ago, and it's this. Repent. Get rid of it. Not just some of it, get rid of all of it. Repent. Repent, turn back to God. 
What's incredible is this, and I'm gonna close with this. James and John continue to be faithful in their call. And I believe that in that moment, that was a powerful moment for them. And this is just my uh, inference and what I see happen throughout scripture in these two men's lives because they were nicknamed the the sons of thunder. These were a powerful uh, group of two guys that were just full of zeal and passion. And in that moment, God called them to not let that passion and zeal turn into anger and then turn into something that they would sin out of. And the same words that Jesus spoke to all mankind that he's speaking to you today, repent. I believe that James and John learned a very valuable lesson there that day because something incredible would happen in John chapter 19. Jesus is about to leave this earth and John looks at him, Jesus looks at John and his mom, Mary, standing nearby and he looks at John and says, you take care of that woman right there. I don't think that Jesus would want to entrust any of us with the opportunity to go care for somebody that we would express some of our worst and deepest sin to manifested through anger. But I believe that the key to understanding the life that God has for us to truly live free and be transformed by the love of Jesus all starts with an action required of us and it's to repent. It's to turn away from, it's to turn aside And it's to head back into the direction of Jesus. Repent. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray for the person in here who walked in here today and just an hour ago, they were climbing out of their car. And it was a full rage session on display. Pray for the person in here who has so much disdain for their boss and coworkers that every day that they show up, they are undermining at every chance they have. Pray for the person in here, that person, who needs to understand that there, there's an opportunity to repent from that, to turn away from that, because the command is this, to get rid of all of it. Pray for the person in here who has yet to repent from the anger and the fury that they express to their kids, yelling at them, never taking the opportunity to live out a teachable moment. I pray for the person in here who has felt like walking away from every encounter that they get the last word and they feel good in the moment that they just got their point across. But for the longest time, they can never recall the moment that 10, 15, 20 minutes later, they actually feel good about what they did. I pray for the marriage in here that feels like the only word that is describing the marriage right now is anger. Pray for the person in here whose divorce has been, it's been horrible. And it's been frustrating. And it might be a divorce that you didn't want. But there's been something there that has been fueling your anger. I pray that you would repent today. If you're in here today and you're a believer, I'm going to ask you to pray for, the, for this room, for any heart in here. 
that may need to be repentant. God, I thank you so much, Lord, that you call us to repentance. Why? Because you want us to experience life to the fullest here on earth. You want us to experience life to the fullest and experience the transformative forgiveness and love that you so freely give us. But it requires something of us to repent, to recognize recognize that our ways are not your ways, that the way that we have been living has not been producing the righteousness that you desire. Pray for the person in here that needs to say yes to you for the very first time and they have been running from you for a long time. If that's you, I'm gonna invite you to say yes to Jesus. If you're in here today and you have been running from him for a while, yeah, you've said yes to him. Yeah, you committed your life to him. But it's been a brutal journey. One that's been marked by your selfishness and your desires that now wants to be marked by life change and a recollection that God's goodness wants to shine out in your life. So if that's you, if I've described you in some way, if you wanna say yes to him or you wanna come back to him, I'm gonna invite you to pray this prayer. This prayer just acknowledges that God is God and we aren't and that he sent a perfect sacrifice to this earth in Jesus. If that's you, if you wanna say yes to Jesus, I invite you to pray this prayer silently right where you sit in this building, online, out on the patio, wherever you are, you want to say yes to him, pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your love. And thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. God, I open up my heart to you. I open up my life to you. Here I am, God. I love you. And I thank you. Would you fill me with your love? And would you produce patience in me? So fill me with your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. And amen if you prayed that prayer for the first time. Amen. Amen. And if you just prayed that prayer, by the way, if you prayed that online, I want to encourage you to text amen to 77247 or go to crossroadschurch.family let us know that you prayed that prayer we want to encourage you we want to support you in that so desperately and if you prayed that way to go and if you thanks again for joining us here at crossroads we're all about helping people take their next step so what's your next step whether you've made a decision to follow jesus want to be baptized or you're interested in knowing more about God and the Bible through our Alpha class, we can help you take your next step at crossroadschurch.family. We also want to invite you to gather your family and friends to join us right here online again next week. We're live Wednesdays at 7 p.m. or Sundays at 9 a.m. So if you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and you'll never miss out on any new messages. If you found this message encouraging, click the like button and let us know how we can pray for you this week in the comments. Finally, if your life is being impacted by Crossroads and if you wanna be part of making an impact all over the world, you can head to crossroadschurch.family to do that now. Thanks again for watching and we'll see you next time.